This is Miss Val, the author of Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance, and I am on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Hey, this is James Oney on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Hi, this is Derek Cox, and it's been a pleasure being here on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. What do Hall of Fame gymnastics coach Valerie Condos field? Football's Derek Cox and baseball's James Loney have in common? They all appeared on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern, and along with Lucy Sang, we thank Miss Val, Derek, and James for helping us kick off another season of conversations with elite athletes who prove once again that the traits of personality and character that made them elite athletes are the same ones that allow them to establish lives of meaning and purpose once their playing days are over. Lucy and I created this podcast because we are admirers of elite athletes and the challenges they face in making that often difficult transition at a young age to new challenges. After all, imagine the commitment, often since childhood, it takes to become the best in a sport, but then the realization that your time at the top of the mountain is so fleeting. So much of your life is ahead of you. What Lucy and I have found is that these elite athletes are elite people with stories we know you will find inspiring. We hope you enjoy this edition of After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern. And, uh, you know, we're missing my partner, Lucy Singh, today. Uh, Lucy is a brand new mom, and her little baby is a little under the weather today. And, and uh, this afternoon was the only time that uh, uh, <laughs> she could go to the doctor. So Lucy sends her best uh uh, as our listeners know from our many prior episodes, uh, Lucy and I are both alumni at UCLA, but from different generations. And uh, I'm from the generation, uh, of course, that uh, is closer to the time when our special guest was dominating the world of baseball. Uh, today, we have a gentleman who really defines what it means to be uh, a baseball player, to persevere through the ups and the downs. Uh, had one of the great careers in all of baseball. And ladies and gentlemen, he has made his name in another area that we'll get into uh, in just a moment. Uh, if, uh, if you said to a doctor, you know, what is a ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction, the doctor would know. But what would the public know? They would call it the Tommy John surgery. And our guest today is Mr. Tommy John. Uh, a bit of an introduction. Tommy is now 79 years young, born in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, not that far from Anderson, where our very first guest, Carl Erskine, uh, comes from. Tommy was a left-handed pitcher, batted right-handed. We'll talk a little about that because there's another famous left-hander who batted uh, right-handed. Um, made his Major League debut in September 1963 with the Cleveland Indians. Had a remarkable 26-year career with a one-loss record of 288 and 231. The third most wins of any pitcher since 1900 who is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. A career ERA of 3.34, 2,245 strikeouts. Played with the Cleveland Indians, uh, then the Chicago White Sox. Some incredible years with our Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, when I say our, of course, that's where I'm at in Los, in Los Angeles. <laughs> Uh, then moved on to the New York Yankees, where he had a chance to play against the Dodgers in a couple of significant uh, World Series, more than a couple. Then with the California Angels, uh, finished up his career with the, a year with the Athletics, 
and then closed out his career in 1989 with the New York Yankees uh, for three years, uh, 86 to 89. Uh, Tommy has uh, been a motivational speaker for many of the years since he left baseball. Uh, recently came back from Washington, D.C., where the cast that was placed on his arm after uh, his, uh, uh, his Tommy John surgery, signed by Dr. Frank Job and all the Dodger players, um, that cast is now in the Smithsonian uh, Museum uh, of Modern History. Tommy John, it is great to have you on After the Glory. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Um, you know, we often ask a question at the end of a podcast, and with that introduction and with all that you have done in your career and your life um, on and off the field, um, I want to ask you this. If you had a chance to talk to 10-year-old Tommy John today, if you could go back in time mm -hmm. and talk to 10-year-old Tommy John about life, what would you say to him, knowing what you know now at age 79, what would you say to 10-year-old Tommy John about the, the life in sports and after? Basically the same thing my dad said. When you go out on the field, bust your hiney because you never know who's going to be in the stands watching you, a scout, a general manager, or whatever. Um, I just I enjoyed playing baseball, and um, I, I would tell Tommy John, work your butt off. You don't have to throw every day, but work your butt off to get into shape to be as big and as strong as you could be. In other words, you would tell him, do what you are going to do. In other words, don't change anything because right. the little Tommy John did exactly those things and became one of the great pitchers in baseball and one of the great men in sports history. Um, take us back to those early days in Indiana. Um, I know that you, uh, one of the things that's most um, interesting to me about your development in baseball is that Early on, you had a gift for throwing the curveball, and it sustained you in those early years all the way up to your debut in the majors. Um, how did you develop the skill in baseball, and particularly the curveball, that got you to the major leagues? My mom and dad got me a book for Christmas, How to Pitch by Bob Feller. And I read it, and, uh, you know, it didn't teach me a lot. But... I knew that if I was going to succeed, I had to have a good curveball. And I kept wanting to throw it. My dad said, no, 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 no. When I got to be 13, he said, I think you're ready. So he took me up to a guy that was a left-handed pitcher, but we all went to the same high school. And his name was Arley Andrews. And he played minor league baseball for the Phillies. He pitched. He showed me how to throw the curveball, how to hold it, what to do. I threw one curveball, and he said, have you been throwing these? And I said, no, I've never thrown my life. He said, well, it's spinning the way it's supposed to spin. I said, oh, so I threw two or three more, and he said, that's it. I've seen enough. He said, uh, just when you got to throw a curveball, just throw it like you did to me. And that's what I was a two pitch pitcher. I threw a sinker and I threw a curveball. Well, Tommy, we're going to talk a little more about the, uh, the, the journey to the major leagues uh, and so much else when we come back on After the Glory. 
Uh, we'll take a short break. This is Gary Stern and uh, our special guest, Mr. Tommy John. Hello, this is Dean, third generation owner of Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. We are located near UCLA in the heart of Westwood Village, where we have been since 1946. For 74 years, my family has stood for the highest standards of knowledge and integrity and are proud members of the prestigious American Gem Society. But it is our personal touch that truly makes us a cut above. Client relationships last for decades and generations. With six UCLA alumni, the family has supported UCLA for decades, including the famous Sarah Leonard Jewelers Watch Giveaway. For diamonds and colored gems, designer collections and estate jewelry, watches, custom design, and gorgeous gifts starting under $100, it's all here at Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. Mention the code GLORY and get 20% off your first purchase, plus a 10% UCLA discount on all future purchases. Call 310-208-3131 today for your appointment or visit us at sarahleonardjewelers.com. Free parking available. Again, call 310-208-3131, use the code GLORY and experience the Sarah Leonard difference for yourself. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern uh, with our very special guest, Mr. Tommy John. Uh, Tommy, one of the things that I used to hear a lot when I was coaching uh, uh, Little League and uh, just early in my time playing baseball uh, as, a, as a recreational thing was the curveball can hurt your arm. And so you shouldn't start it young. Is that a, is that a misnomer? Is, there, is, it, is it actually the case that if thrown properly, um, it's not going to hurt whoa, the arm? Oh, you just said the right word, throwing properly. It's the same as a fastball. A fastball can hurt your arm if you don't throw it right. Uh, a changeup can hurt your arm if you don't throw it wide. A curveball is no different than any of those other pitches if you throw them right. And it's hard to throw when you're seven, eight, nine, ten years old. You don't have the strength to get up on top and pull down. So that's the key is to, is yep. to get up on top. Yeah. You get um, on top. Make sure that your fingers are on top of the ball and then just pull down. Right. We have found so often with so many of our guests that they are multi-sport athletes. And in your case, you were also a superb basketball player at uh, Gertzmeyer High School in Terre Haute. Uh, as a pitcher, not bad, 28 and two, uh, but, uh, uh, and also you were the valedictorian of your class, not bad. Um, but tell us about basketball and why you ultimately decided to uh, forego a chance to go to University of Kentucky and sign with Cleveland. Well, Indiana is a basketball state. You saw the show Hoosiers? Absolutely. The name of that team was Milan, M-I-L-A-N, Milan Indians. They would be the Guardians now, the Milan Guardians. But uh, <laughs> uh, Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. whole other subject. <laughs> um, I had uh, close to 50 scholarship offers in basketball to go to college. And I had one in baseball. And had I stayed and gone to college, I would have taken the baseball, gone to University of Illinois for a baseball scholarship, and they were going to let me play basketball too. But I love basketball. But I knew that a six foot three white guy that couldn't jump very good wasn't going to go very far in basketball. The... Uh... The career started with the Cleveland Indians, and after a couple of years, uh, you went to the White Sox, and you spent seven years with the White Sox and really established yourself there, uh, really started pitching regularly as a starter in 1965 and uh, started to be among the top in the game. 
68, fifth in the AL with a one. Imagine that, a 1.98 ERA. I mean, do you know what that would do today? A pitcher, a 1.98 ERA. Um, and I finished, uh, and I finished down the line. The guy that won the ERA championship uh, for pitching was a guy named Gibson. Yeah, one point one two. One point one two. There you go. And, and of course, those were the that was the day where the pitching dominated in in the game. Uh, I'm interested in something that I read uh, in your bio, which is that. Um, when you got under the tutelage of a coach, uh, the, uh, Johnny Sane from Spawn Sane and Call for Rain, um, he made you change your pitching mix, and it, it it caused problems. Your ERA went up, and and apparently that's one of the things led to the trade to the Dodgers. And I'm curious in professional baseball if, in your experience, that is something that is sort of an occupational hazard guys telling you how to do things that you know are not in your best interest? Well, it is. Sane, uh, Sane was a breaking ball pitching coach. Um, actually, it was a short curveball. Wasn't a slider, just a little short curveball that he threw and had his pitchers throw all the time. I was a fastball pitcher. Sinker, 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 curveball, curve. And I just, Johnny... Johnny and I were like, it, it's like we were butting heads. Like, oh, yeah. boom. And I didn't care for his style of coaching. And he probably didn't care for my style of pitching. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the question is, is that something that has always been a part of professional baseball? Is um, the, the, the coaches and managers who think they know better, the players who have to submit to whatever the coach, or has that changed over the years, at least as you perceive it? I don't know how it is now, but, um, you know, it was like anything else. You were, you were a pitcher. He was a coach and you tipped your hat to him every time you saw him. Yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, beg pardon, sir. Um, you know, is that the way to do it? It's the way they've done it all the time. But um, I know when I had the problems with saying, I called my old pitching coach, Ray Berries, with the White Sox. And I said, uh, Ray, uh, I, I'm, I'm hurting. He said, get that curveball, stick it up your butt. And I said, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He said, go back. Do all the stuff that we did when you were here with me, and you'll be fine. And that's what I did. Before we take our next break, I have a – my mind is going in all sorts of different directions, uh, thinking about the, the long and wonderful career you had. And one of the things that I noticed, and I guess this is an interesting um, parallel, uh, you were a left-handed pitcher, but you batted right-handed. There was another guy named Koufax who was a left-handed pitcher and batted right-handed. What, why was that? Do, do you have any idea why? Uh, well, his was, his was um, Jewish, <laughs> and mine was <laughs> – I don't know. I just um, – I did everything right-handed as a boy, and I picked a bat up, and I swung it, and I swung it right-handed, and that's, that was me. So no, no particular reason, just the way it was. And just the way it was. Yeah. When we come back, 
we're going to get to 1974, uh, a couple of years after uh, becoming a Dodger, um, and an event that would change not only Tommy's life, but the life of athletes all over the world when we come back on After the Glory. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. Uh, This is Gary Stern and our special guest, Mr. Tommy John. Uh, Tommy, 1974, the injury against Montreal. Um, You know, I think the question that, and, and the perspective that my partner Lucy and I bring to our show is we, we don't call ourselves fans anymore. We gave up the word fan. We are admirers of elite athletes. And I think one of the reasons that we feel that way with this endless admiration is because of this concept of perseverance or um, uh, motivation. Uh, when you get to the highest level of a sport, um, and you know that the average career might be four, five, six years. And you, of course, had the exact opposite. When this happened to you, was your first reaction, I'm going to figure out a way to stay in the game? Or was your first reaction, it's a career-ending injury and I'm done? I had no idea it was career-ending. I knew that I hurt my arm. I knew I couldn't pitch. I knew I had to see Dr. Job. And because what I wanted to do was play baseball. I wanted to pitch. And he and I, this is the thing about Dr. Job that people don't know. Um, he talked to me like a father and a son. He was, my, my wife was pregnant with our first child. In fact, she was born, Tammy was born two days after surgery. And he wasn't, he didn't care if I pitched or not. He said, do you have means to take care of your family? What are you going to do when you can't, not if you can't pitch, when you can't pitch? I said, I'll take care of it. I said, if I have to go back home to Indiana, to Terre Haute, sell cars or whatever, we'll be okay. I said, but I'm going to pitch. I said, if you do your job, I will more than do my job, which is rehab. Did he tell you or at least give, give you the thought? that rehab was not going to be a piece of cake. You were going to miss an entire year. You were going to need at least 12 months. Did he tell you the, 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 the intensity that that rehab was going to bring to you? No, but I had had elbow surgery earlier from him after the 72 season. Um, and I knew what rehab was. And I knew that the harder I worked, the better I was going to come out of it. And I wanted to, I wanted to play baseball. I, I wanted to pitch. And I told him, I said, if you do your job, I will more than do my job. Well, well let me ask you this. You started your career in 63. So that by, by 74, you've already had um, a longer career than a lot of plus pitchers and otherwise uh, will right. have. Um, 
we have had a lot of athletes on our show, both not as well known and those who are internationally known, who have said to us that in the transition from uh, sport to life after the sport, when they have so many years of living still to do, mm-hmm. that 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 having having uh, something that would give them purpose was not as obvious to them as they thought. Others who prepared through whatever college or or whatever their major might have been, uh, and they were ready to go into a teaching job or they were ready to go into something else. For you, the love of the game, yes. But was there also something about the way your journey went that you said to yourself, I'm not sure I know exactly what I would do if I don't have baseball? Did that enter into it at all, or was it purely the love of the game? Love of the game. I wanted to play baseball. That's what I wanted to do ever since I was six, seven, eight years old was to play baseball. I got a chance to play it at the highest level. I had an operation. Um, Nobody knew if it was going to work or not work, but by God, I was going to do everything I could to make sure that it did work. You you know, there's another question that just came to me as as you were talking about the love of the game. Uh, It it is a professional game uh, and, and contracts and money are involved. Did it matter? Was it a relevant fact in terms of your commitment to the rehab and to coming back that right in that time, right in that period of time was the Andy Messer Smith and the whole situation of the transition to free agency and the ability to at least go out there and negotiate a good contract, uh, a better contract if one was not offered you? Was that, was that something that you knew was on the horizon for you if you came back? Well, I, you know, I never even thought about it. I just wanted to pitch. What I made was what I made. And uh, Messer Smith and Dave McNally and those guys, um, they made a lot of money for a lot of guys. No question about it. Um, you missed the 75 season uh, yep. recovering from surgery. Um and of course, as as we uh, as we talk about the the surgery and and again the, 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 how critically important it has become to athletes, um, uh, it is a remarkable uh, procedure. Uh, essentially, the uh, athlete has sustained a torn ulnar collateral ligament in the elbow. Uh, it's on the inner side of the elbow and it helps secure the elbow joint. Um, and basically, what happens is they harvest a tendon. Uh, from another part, uh, usually the opposite arm, and they ins- and and it's attached as essentially a brand new ulnar collateral ni- ligament, and then the rehab process is to strengthen it. Um, uh, and I know that Frank Job told you, uh, listen, the chances of coming back and going all the way to the majors are a hundred to one. Um, obviously, something in you, whether it was your upbringing, your religious faith, whatever it is, something in you said. I'm not going to listen to people talking about 101. I know I'm going to come back. Was Is that a fair description of how you felt at the time? Absolutely. I told him, I said, I'm going to pitch again. I want to pitch. And I will do whatever I have to do to pitch again. And if that means I've got to do uh, therapy uh, seven times a, a week, then I'll do therapy seven times a week. But I've got to I've got to do what I've got to do to pitch at the highest level, which is Major League Baseball. And I hope all of our 
listeners understand that really and truly, Tommy may not say it, but I, there are only a few human beings on the planet with that kind of um, motivation, that kind of faith in themselves that could have done what Tommy did, which led to the extension of countless careers from the major leagues on down. When we come back on After the Glory, we'll talk a little bit about Tommy's uh, um, second half of that remarkable career uh, and beyond. Gary Stern and our very special guest, Mr. Tommy John. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org. That's S-T-E-R-N. Or you can call him at 818-710-2717. That's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with our very special guest, Tommy John. Uh, Tommy, uh, 1975, your return. I'd like to get a sense from you of Mm -hmm. of this i can't imagine i certainly can't as a recreational player imagine the feeling of pitching in front of fifty thousand people the cheering the adrenaline that must happen and i would imagine that when you took the mound for the first time uh, in 1975 uh, at dodger stadium or or wherever you were if you were on the road that it must have been uh, an emotional time take me back do you remember that yeah it was 76. 76, that's right. You were out 75. And I was out back. all 75. Sorry about that. And you came back at no, 76. that's okay. That's okay. So I, tell, tell me about that feeling. Well, I was supposed to start the third game of the season. It was supposed to be Sutton, Osteen, and me down in Atlanta. And I'm at the hotel, and they call my room, and they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just sitting in there. You're pitching tonight. Don't, you know. Okay, what happened? Oh, Claude's sick or whatever, and he can't pitch. So instead of starting the third game that I was supposed to start, I started game two. And I think I pitched five or six innings, and I pitched okay. But like I told people, they said, what what was it like? And I said, here's what it was like. The first half of the season, it was like show and tell. I, I just, I didn't know what I was going to bring to the game. Second half of the season, I knew what I was going to bring to the game. And that's when it was a whole lot more fun. You, uh, of course, uh, went on to pitch in the 77 and 78 series. There are many people of the Dodger persuasion who believe that those were two of the best Dodger teams ever, even better than the 81 team that ultimately won the split season World Series. Um <laughs> And I, and of course, you were part of the '81 team for the Yankees. Uh, what, uh, what was? Tell our, our our listeners 
what it's like to pitch in the World Series, not, not just once, but a few times? Well, it's the ultimate. Um, you're out there on the mound, and there's people cheering and all this, and you just got to wipe that from your mind and go out and pitch. It's pitch. It's just like it was when I started the second game of the season. It's the, it, that's what it is. You go, you get the ball, you throw. You get the ball, you throw. If you pitch good, you pitch deep into the game. If you don't, you get an early shower. <laughs> did, and I've had you, plenty of those. <laughs> did you realize as the years went on, 77, 78, all through the 80s and all through up to 1989, did you realize that you were essentially given a brand new tool and you essentially had an entire new career? And if only you can kept the rest in good shape, you were going to go much longer than just about anybody else? Well, yeah, I, I knew that I had been I had been blessed. And I had um, I had a chance to do some things that I've been wanting to do since I was a small boy. And I, I took the reins and I ran with. It. Yeah, it, it's an incredible story, as, as, as many of our listeners might know. For a long time, Tommy set the record 26 years in the majors. It was only exceeded later on by Nolan Ryan. Um, you had uh, some good a lot of good years left with the Yankees, with the Angels. Um, finished up your career with the Yankees. Um, was that happenstance or did you sort of want to finish it up with the Yankees? No. Um, Oakland released me and I couldn't find anybody to sign me. And so I, I called the Yankees, not my agent, but I called the Yankees and it was Clyde King was the general manager. And I said, Clyde, I, I know that I'm not like I was but I probably won't make it through spring training, but I would, if I'm going to go out of baseball, I would love to go out as a Yankee. And he said, well, let me run it by the boss. And about two weeks later, he called me back and he said, the boss said, shut your mouth when you come down here and you can do it. <laughs> uh, and of course you won 13 games to the Yankees in 87. What, what's interesting to me uh, and we talked about this a little off the air before we began, is the subject of the Hall of Fame. And I'd like you to comment briefly. I know that I, every athlete I've ever talked to, uh, they don't they don't wallow in this sort of thing. It is what it is. Uh, right. And if there's any resentment or, you know, they usually keep that to themselves. But I hope you understand how many people who admire your game are just beside themselves that you're right there with Steve Garvey, right there with Maury Wills and others who, who by all rights should be in the Hall of Fame. There are players with less accomplishment, less impact right. that are there. How do you feel about it? Again, I go back to my upbringing in Indiana. My dad said, don't worry about things you have no control over. I don't have any control over it, so I can't worry about it. I mean, that if I had control over it, and this was happening to me, and it was it was under my control. I'd be worried. I'd be, uh, but I don't. I mean, if if I get voted in, I get voted in. If I don't, I don't. Well, I hope the modern era subcommittee does the right thing uh, and 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 votes you in at their next uh, opportunity. 
Um, in the years afterwards, you did a little broadcasting. You uh, have been a motivational speaker. Um, you've talked to folks about the perseverance that uh, brought to the world this incredible uh, medical procedure that has saved careers. And you've had some uh, recent illness uh, with the uh, uh, during the COVID period and uh, an accident at home and so forth. You're looking incredible. You must feel blessed. Uh, as we conclude this episode of After the Glory, tell us how life has been these last number of years. I know you've got a uh, Cheryl has been an incredibly important part of your life. Uh, tell us a little about life in the last uh, few years. Life has been great. If, I don't know if you can hear this, but we're having a thunderstorm right now. <laughs> and my dogs will start barking here in a little bit because they don't like thunder. Yeah. But um, uh, Cheryl has been the best thing that ever happened to me. She keeps me on the straight and narrow. And uh, in fact, we're going Friday. We're leaving Friday morning, going up to Canton, Ohio. And I'm speaking at a Thurman Munson uh, dinner Saturday night up there. And uh, I love doing what I did. And I love talking about it. And people said, well, what are you going to talk about at the Munson dinner? And I said, I don't know. I'll think of something. <laughs> and well, do you practice it? I said, no, I lived it. I don't have to practice it. And uh, I think that that is the uh, ultimate uh, comment on a on a wonderful life is I lived it. Um, Tommy John, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we're uh, here in the uh, early part of July. This episode will be posted probably a little later in July as one of our bonus episodes before we go on hiatus for a while. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, best wishes to Cheryl. And uh, there's some applause from our technical guru, Daryl Wayne. Um, we really <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, be well, stay healthy, and stay safe. Thank you much. Thanks for having me. You got it. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye now. Daryl, take care. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team. Our producer, Mark Allen. Executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson. And our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong. Work or play, you can do no wrong. But when that ride is through, what you gonna do? Hey, hey, what's your story? What you gonna do after the glory? Step back and take it.